My name is Jenna. The other Fandalite can't tell you very much about himself, but I can. See, I don't have an address. I can't be found. I live in your audio player. weekly podcast where Brent and I read and discuss the Animorph books. This book is book 13, The Change. Tobias gets roped into some mysterious illamist plans when he and Rachel are teleported to the perfect spot to see two Horkbajir escaping from an underground Yurk compound. The Animorphs spring into action to protect this couple, the only two free Horkbajir in the universe. Tobias makes a vague deal with the illamist to become human again, only to find that he has instead been given the power to morph. He demonstrates this by morphing into one of the Hork-Bajir, and he and Rachel complete a daring plan to fake the Hork-Bajir couple's death so that they can hide out in the mountains and then their li- live their lives free of the Yerks. At the end, the Elemist takes Tobias back to the night before the Animorphs get their powers, and he acquires his own DNA, allowing him to return to his human form two hours at a time. So this is the book where it happens. It finally happened, Brent. Rachel X Tobias forever. Oh my god, I've been waiting. I've been waiting for this book more than any of the other books in this series. <laughs> this is the one where Tobias starts to be able to participate fully again. Yeah, and, he, and, and that's good because the last couple books have been all about uh, Tobias's participation has been pretty limited, and he's been pretty upset about it. So I'm glad he's. Back to being part of the team. Yeah, he's been a sulky little hawk about it. (laughs) I know, you just want to pet his little head. Yeah, especially now that he can become human again. Not not just human, he can become Tobias again. And that's very exciting for me. There's a scene uh, with the Illamist in, I guess, not zero space, but some sort of other weird dimension. The turquoise mist? Yes, the turquoise mist dimension. <laughs> There's a scene there where it's very strongly implied that Tobias's human form is no longer really Tobias's self-image. Oh yeah, there's yeah, there's parts in this book where Tobias is overt like, "No, I'm not I'm not human. I don't know, I'm not a hawk really, but I'm something in between." And I I guess that's fair. I mean, he has been living as a hawk for a while. Yeah, and God, this book it this book is really heart rendering for for Tobias because he spends a lot of it being like, "Gosh, I miss being human with my loving family and warm bed and sweet breakfasts," but also that's not what my human life was like. It was <laughs> shitty. Yeah, it's so true. Like he he points out that he's really not even sure that anybody reported him missing, and I think. I think probably nobody did. And that's pretty upsetting. Yeah, that's a real rough fucking thing for like a 12 or 13 year old to be aware of. Yeah, the fact that nobody noticed him missing except for his very best friends. (laughs) And his very best friends know he's not missing. Yeah, they know he's a hawk who lives in a tree and eats mice. (laughs) And his shorm with an andalite. (laughs) Yeah, but all of that's okay. All of that's okay, because he can morph again, and he can become human, and he can go and see Rachel at her Packard Foundation Outstanding Student Award, because she's such a good student. I have a note on this. 
because when he acquired himself, he hmm. acquired himself wearing pajamas. And I don't like he, he didn't go anywhere else in between going to Rachel's Packard Award ceremony. So he shows up naked, right? Like he's <laughs> nude think? there. He doesn't have clothes stashed in the woods. Do you think you think he's been a hawk so long that he's forgotten about petty human things like pants? Well, we know that the Gap Lady's shack burned down, so he can't snag some clothes from there. <laughs> That's uh, true. That's where everybody in the woods were getting their clothes. He doesn't mention stopping at Jake or Marco's. And even then, like, he'd have to roll up their nude, I guess, or fly in. And uh, there's a logistical issue. But yeah, I'm pretty sure he's just standing there behind the bleachers trying to preen his arm, but not quite being able to reach <laughs> it with his neck. A very sad and funny image. I, I don't know. I assume I assume he does what everybody in the movies does, which is find a clothesline. If the do, do, do clotheslines still exist? Are people still hanging clothes on clotheslines outside of this exact scene in any movie? I think in in all cinematic universes, people still regularly use clotheslines. Okay, well, good but- for them. It may mean that he shows up in a mismatched sundress and hat. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking like a, a woman's blouse and um, for some reason, joke purse, even though that's not a fashion anybody wears anymore. <laughs> you know, by. I've just dried my joke purse out on the clothesline. <laughs> he swung by a cosplayer's house and uh, put together God. a pretty alarming <laughs> outfit. <laughs> he, he shows up in a corset with gears glued to it. <laughs> no, wait, steampunk wasn't a thing yet. Uh, oh, that's right. It's the 90s. God. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So Tobias is nude and he surprises them all with his existence and his nudity as a human. That's got to raise some fucking questions, though, because it is it is Tobias in his own Tobias body. You know, even if he wasn't nude, he specifically calls out that a couple of the teachers sort of do a double take, like maybe <laughs> they recognize him, <laughs> but then they just sort of brush it off. You think they're double-taking because he's a new 12-year-old beneath yeah, well, some yeah. benches? I think that's probably, yeah, he's obvious. <laughs> he's he's underneath the bleachers. We all float down here, just nude. Yeah, he talks. I thought it was funny about how much he talks about how alarming it is to run because you're so close to the ground when you run. And he <laughs> hasn't done that in months. Oh, my God. It's so sad. There's so much about Tobias' situation in this book is sad. Yeah, there's a part really early on where he says that he and Rachel are flying and he like is showing off to her about what a good flyer red tail hawks are. And that's at once extremely adorable because he's like a 12 year old boy showing off for his crush. But also he's showing off like his hawk moves. <laughs> and that's oh. that's so sad. Yeah, it really is. And then he has all these asides, like, uh, there's a point at which he basically says, well, I'm constantly worried about what animals are going to try to kill me, but I guess everyone has problems, right? Oh my god, Tobias, get some perspective on your sad life. Seriously. I mean, I guess the upside now is he can become human occasionally? I don't, you know, I honestly don't know why he hasn't been A, sleeping in Cassie's barn, or B, just like hanging out in Rachel's room at night anyway, even as a hawk. Like, you don't have to. There's like, there's a whole section of this book where he's talking about like, yeah, raccoons will climb a tree and eat you, so you have to listen for that. And like, owls are really quiet, so if an owl comes for you at night while you're sleeping in a tree, you're pretty much fucked. No, 
Tobias, you have friends who care about you. Let them help. <laughs> well, he was sleeping in Jake's attic, but Jake kept leaving him, like, fucking Rice Krispie treats and shit. Yeah, I left you some chicken. That's not too close to being a bird, right? <laughs> Super weird. It's not appropriate. I mean, anyway, he wants to be close to his shorm. That's true, and that is sweet. But now he can get close to Rachel, because he can be human again, and they can finally date! For two hours at a time, yeah. Two, yeah, I mean, that's as, that's about as long as I imagine 13-year-olds dates should be anyway. Depends on the length of the movie they're seeing. That's true. Hour and a half movie, and then that leaves time to get picked up and dropped off by their parents. And, yeah. or, or in this case, to morph back. Yeah, like when Lord of the Rings comes out, it's not going to be a great time. Oh, no. That's a shame. <laughs> that's not, yeah, not a good date movie, period. But also especially <laughs> not for the Animorphs. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Uh, um, okay, but the thing that fucked me up most, this is so part of the reason I remembered this book and the things that happened in this book specifically is because it really fucks me up that Tobias can morph himself, but only as like a 12, 13-year-old forever. Oh, oh, shit. Oh, fuck. Oh, yeah. fuck. Okay, yeah. And so Rachel's going to keep getting older, and every day she gets older, <laughs> yeah, every day she gets older, that relationship, it becomes less viable as a public relationship, because he's always going to, he's always going to be that 12, 13-year-old human body. How long do red-tailed hawks live? Uh, I, I don't know if we looked it up, but it's not long. Because that relationship might have an expiration date anyway. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. The thing that always bothered me was that Tobias I can hear you googling how long do red tail hawks live. <laughs> Let me do that real quick. <laughs> red tail hawk life span twenty five years in the wild. Okay, so, so we don't know how old the morph that he picked up is. So, like, best case scenario, when Rachel's in her early 30s, her 12-year-old husband dies. Oh, yeah, that's that doesn't go down well at all. (laughs) Or I guess loses the power to morph and then is 12. Well, I mean, so that's that was always my question is, like, Tobias has the choice where he can decide to live human. He just has to get into his human morph and stay, and he loses the power to morph and to fly and to be a bird, but he'll uh, presumably age normally. Yeah, but he didn't, as he points out, have a great human life, and it's probably only going to be worse now that he's disappeared long enough for his aunts and uncles to get used to him not being around. Yeah, and his teachers to forget what he looked like. Seriously? Yeah. God, I... That pumped me out. I hadn't even fucking thought about the fact that they're morphs don't age. That's... Yeah, I mean, presumably their their morph bodies do. So, like, presumably Tobias the Red-Tailed Hawk will age. That always messed me up as a kid. I remember it messing me up so much that it still messes me up as an adult. Because Tobias does, he, he what he wants from the Illamist is to be human. But now that he has the choice between being human and not being able to morph anymore, but continuing to grow and age and have a, have a realistic relationship with Rachel... And then on the other hand, being able to morph and still being able to fly, but aging himself out of a fair relationship. I'm getting gross out. Do you think that if he 
decides to live as human and gives up the ability to morph, that he actually does have a realistic shot at maintaining a relationship with Rachel? That's, you know, that's a good question. I guess I always assumed that he did. No, that's a good question. Do you think that that wouldn't be viable? I think at that point, their life, their life experiences will be so different. How do you make that work when one of you is like going to school and the other one of you is trying not to die in the middle of an ant colony? Well, I mean, I so I think human Tobias would be less useful to the group than red-tailed hawk Tobias. He's not even a super hacker like Hecate. <laughs> yeah he doesn't even have any super skills um so i do think he'd be less useful but i don't think that he would necessarily not be a part of the group anymore i don't think they i don't know you make a good point i mean he's he's salty enough about not being able to help even when he is actually able to help in some way but once he's a normal human child like he can't even scout things he can't do his your cool mapping project he can't keep he can't be lookout. And then at that point, it's Rachel constantly putting herself in danger. And I don't know, it's it's a wartime romance. And I don't know how that works once one of them is a civilian again. I mean, you make a good point. I guess I just want them to have like a normal, happy, beautiful life and for it to not get weird after. Uh, I don't know. How many years does that get weird for Rachel? I'm going to say four. Like three or four? Yeah, three or four years for it to become not viable like <laughs> as once, a romance. Once she's a senior dating a freshman, it's a little... Yeah, once she's 17 and she's dating a 12... Ooh, ooh my blood's curdling, Brent. I don't know. You make a good point. Yeah. I mean, and- it's a bad point because it disrupts my romance plans for them, but it's a good, good point. I mean, I, I really want them to have a beautiful life together as well but i think that sort of went out the window when they wandered through that construction site oh man and I, yeah so we get this moment where tobias is i guess gone back in time to see himself like it, he says it's the the day before he goes into the construction site with the rest of the group and i thought it was really interesting that he doesn't even it doesn't even really occur to him to say hey don't go through the construction site or hey do go to the construction site but don't let yourself become a goddamn red tail hawk <laughs> yeah he just i mean he tells he tells himself that he should definitely follow jake into the construction site and that's true but also you he, you could have left a better bread trail crumb I don't know. I guess then we get into the nature of Elemist time travel in the Animorphs, and if creating that sort of paradox causes him to, it like, is it a Sanrio oh. rip type situation where then there's two versions of him that exist, the one that made the choice and the one that didn't, and I, I feel like he he made the safer choice in terms of time travel metaphysics because ah. they don't really know a hundred percent how this works with the Elemist. Yeah, I guess it's fair. I hadn't really considered that it would be like a paradox. I just assumed Illumist would do whatever time bullshit that they do and make it right in the world. They'd patch that Sanrio rip and it'd be I mean, maybe. I don't know. Well, it's like last time he took him to the future. Uh, and so it, it couldn't really change. I mean, that's... Uh, already my head is hurting with the non-linear wibbly-wobbly 
timey-wimey <laughs> bullshit. Yeah, so let's talk about the Hork-Bajir, because the, the, I guess the one of the other big important things that happens in this book is that they free to Hork-Bajir. Yeah, I guess, although we've spent the first 20 minutes talking about uh, Tobias and Rachel, because that's what's really important here. Yeah, for sure. Like that time where Rachel and Tobias morph into the Hork-Bajir couple, and it's like, <laughs> you, like you know that they've morphed into the couple, and it's like Aww, a symbolic thing. I know. It's beautiful. So yeah, um, the two Hork-Bajir, Jerahami and his wife, <laughs> Kat Halpak? Yeah, and okay, so this might this is a hot, fresh take from Jenna. As soon as I read Ket Halpak, for some reason, I just assumed that that is like Hork Bajir, Catherine Hepburn. And I don't really know why, other than the initials are the same. But that really colored my entire reading of this book. Wow. Yeah. I expand on that, if you would. No, I don't really have anything. <laughs> I don't have anything more. It's just that, like, okay, because if I were going to say Catherine Hepburn, but I couldn't remember what the name was, and I was stumbling, and, and maybe English wasn't my first language, I'd probably say something like, you know, like, Kalpak, Kalpak. Okay, it's better than Jara Hummy. <laughs> Look, they both sound like characters from the Star Wars prequels. Like minor characters that definitely got an action figure and so they got a name but nobody remembers them. Yeah, and they get they get better developed in the extended universe. They're both Jedi who got murdered in that Coliseum battle scene. <laughs> yeah, Jara and Cat. I mean, they're the only free orc vizier in the universe now, and that's pretty cool. Well, that's sort of the whole reason that the Elemist is even involved. I mean, and and that's well established because in the last book where we see the Elemist, he's all about trying to establish, well, hypothetically, wink nudge all about trying to establish a human colony, uh, a free of the Yerk. So this is sort of in line with their fake bullshit reasons. I mean, it's weird that in this case, the Elemist decides that the Hork-Bajir colony is going to be on a planet soon to be conquered by the Yerks if they don't get off their ass. Yeah, I don't know if he has an extended plan, or maybe he's going to whisk away the baby that Jara and Ket confirm that they are going to have eventually. I don't think I don't think either one of them's pregnant necessarily, but I think they are planning on having babies. Oh man, I I hope neither of them's pregnant, because that would have happened when they <gasps> were being mind-controlled by Yerks, and that's just oh, a no. whole... Horrifying. Maybe it happened in the, maybe it happened in the cages when they <laughs> in, were free. Maybe it happened in the cave that one night. Oh when yeah. When Tobias maybe. and Axe were hanging around outside. Yeah, and they kept hearing them talk about kids, <laughs> but in an alien word that they didn't recognize. Yeah, it, we don't get a lot of character development other than the fact that Jara is like super metal. Oh, metal as fuck. Dude cuts so. his own forehead open. Oh my god, that was that was cool. I really liked that. Yeah, he wants to prove to them that he doesn't have a yerk, so he just like shows him his brain. Yeah, yeah, he just cuts his brain open and shows him all that good that good brain meat. <laughs> oh god, yeah. this is the book where we learn that Hork Bajir are herbivores, which I remembered to this day, but I wasn't sure when we first found it out if it was here, the Hork Bajir Chronicles. Yeah, I think there's once or twice where Axe or somebody, some alien is like, no, the hork are actually really peaceful. But I don't think we get like that clear explanation of why they're covered in razor blades if they're peaceful. 
uh, until now. This is the first time it's like, oh, they're all for cutting off different types of bark. Yeah, it's how nice. What a nice evolutionary thing. I mean, it didn't, it made them a very attractive species for the Yerks to take over, which is kind of a real shame. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's an O. Henry level adaptation, I guess. We also get a super great moment that I really enjoyed where uh, Jara and Ket, well, the Animorphs are a little hesitant about showing them their human forms because, as you know, all of Visor's threes um, <laughs> and underlings, <laughs> yeah, there's some confusion. They don't know if they can trust them in case they get recaptured. Uh, and Jara and Ket are like, no, free or dead, free or dead. And Rachel's like, fuck yeah, fuck yeah, free or dead, free or dead. <laughs> and then she makes all the rest of them yell it. She makes, yeah, she chases down Marco and makes Marco say it. And that was funny and weird. I I mean, classic Rachel. Yeah, I really liked it. I Yeah, I like that Rachel is super on board with all the weird militantism of all of the alien species that they meet. There's a couple real classic Rachel moments in this, actually. There's another one later on when she and Tobias are morphed into the Hork-Bajir, and Jake is, like, flying Overwatch, and he says something, and she's like, yeah, we know, mother. <laughs> and then, like, privately thought t- thought speaks to Tobias. We, we do know, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yes, that's perfect. I that love you, Rachel. Nice- counterpoint to the moment we had in the last book in rachel's book where tobias is like hey you should ask him what he'd do and rachel does it it's like what a good couple right Ugh, i just want it to work out for these kids me too yeah there's also a moment where and this has come up before you don't seem to think this is weird but there's a moment where rachel winks at tobias how are these 12 to 13 years how are they so casual with winking at each other like how i i don't understand it brent i think this may be a jenna thing like maybe i'm weird for having winked prior to being an adult what so you so like if you were talking to like your crush you would wink at your crush or you're you're hanging out with your cousin and they said something and you were making a joke and you just wink at them like just you would just do that i mean it depends on the circumstance but yeah Usually with your crush, a wink is more of a like across the room thing. Okay, some sort of some sort of gesture, yeah, an intent. It's like a physical smiley emoji to to <laughs> indicate that you're joking. <laughs> oh, see, that's probably that's probably the thing. I didn't start joking until I was in my twenties. So I one hundred percent believe you. <laughs> no, I know I can see that. So I guess yeah, okay. I don't, I just, it feels like it takes such verve, it takes such moxie to wink in my mind. Like, I just, I I have to, like, winking is like my special. Like, I have to build up energy throughout the day (laughs) in order to be able to deploy a wink. And then once I do it, I can't wink again until I build up my meter again. Well, no, I, I sort of get that because I don't think I've ever winked seriously as an adult. Oh, okay. So maybe it's the inverse. You expended all of your winks in your youth like a fool, whereas I've been hoarding <laughs> my winks. This is a classic grasshopper and the ant about winks situation. Right. And now I can only do the over-exaggerated com- comical winks. There's also, so there's also one moment in this book where 
just after Tobias gets the power to morph again, they're all gathered trying to figure out what they're going to do about the hork And somebody's like, well, we could fake their deaths. Sure. I guess you could. That's a great plan, Animorphs. And Tobias is like, yeah, I'll do it. And, and everybody in the group's sort of like, uh. Okay, buddy. Okay, because he didn't, he didn't tell anybody he got the power to morph back. He just sort of like volunteers. I get the sense that Tobias likes just springing these things on people because he didn't tell Rachel, hey, I can morph into myself again. He just showed up at her thing. That's true. Yeah, that's true. He does seem like to be able to sneak up. That does seem very in line with Tobias's personality. It definitely seems in line with his hunting method. I mean, he, you know what? Even though he morphs human, he's still part red tail hawk. Always will be. <laughs> it's true. Do you think he has to struggle against... His human Tobias urges, his 12-year-old human Tobias urges, and do you think those are different from current, slightly older, red-tail hawk Tobias urges? I'm pretty sure every 12-year-old human has to struggle against their 12-year-old human urges. Thank you for setting that up for me. That was really good. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for, yeah, just set that up and just right, (laughs) right down the center. Um, I, I do like that that scene though where they're saying oh yeah we can we can fake their deaths because Cassie all of a sudden is all of a sudden is like well they're they're sentient we can't just acquire them without their permission and Jake's like Cassie for real <laughs> yeah 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 because we like it was not long ago when the last book happened probably where she definitely acquires Rachel without like a firm and uh, active consent. Like, Cassie just sort of takes Rachel's DNA, and there's not really a discussion. But in this one, she's all back to being... I, I think secretly Cassie just really wanted to experience what it was like to be Rachel, and so she jo- jumped at the opportunity in that book. I don't know. It's I think it's something weirder than that, because there was the one yeah. where she, like, coerced Axe into morphing Jake. Mm. And like they didn't ask Jake first. They just were like, "Oh yeah, you're uh y- y- you can do it. It'll be fine. You do it." Even though you have a perfectly serviceable human morph that we could just introduce to my parents. I think it's just one of those things uh where like she's now really into this idea, but she doesn't want the rest of the animorphs to know, so <laughs> she's very vocally against it now. And Jake just immediately calls her on it like, "Now we all know." <laughs> We all know that this is your thing now, that you just really, you you can't get by without morphing something that has a soul. <laughs> Which, I mean, I agree. If I were in their situation, I would probably be acquiring a lot of people. Up until the point I knew that morphing allergies existed, and then, <laughs> I, and then I would stop because I would not want that to happen. God, it... It almost would have been a better plan for the Elemist to uh, set up a hork preserve if one of them had been allergic to hork Oh, shit. Yeah, that would have been um, probably pretty freaky for Jara and Ket, but a lot more efficient. So I kept reading Kalashi. Kalashi, I guess, is the hork word for wife. And Jara kept shouting it, and I kept reading it as Khaleesi. <laughs> which is a weirdly sort of appropriate i guess but yeah also like i mm, i don't have anything else on that i just wanted to bring it up because i figure someone on twitter will appreciate it 
I'm glad there's Visor 3 isn't in this book very much, which is good also, because just whatever, fuck that guy. But there is a moment where after they stage the hork fall into a canyon? Yeah, some sort of ravine. Yeah, they, he looks down and sees uh, Cassie in her wolf morph chewing on the quote-unquote dead hork And Visor 3 is like, ah, the wolves will get him. And I think the fact that he now knows what a wolf is... It, that's probably like the most character growth we've seen from Visor 3 this entire series. I literally cannot wait for the Visor book. I'm pretty excited too. Uh, yeah, I think I'm excited is the word. <laughs> I I just cannot wait to see what this whole clusterfuck looks like from his perspective. Yeah, so it is from his perspective. That's what I was trying to remember. Oh, I don't know. I I never read it initially. I'm just yeah, assuming. I didn't either because I hated the Visor. So why would I read that? <laughs> He's a lot more of a comedic figure uh, now than he was when I was a youth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I only assume that reading a book from his perspective is going to be just really aggravating. I I don't know. We'll have to see when we get there. When, do you know when that is? Is that like at the end? It's way later on, yeah. Okay. I think okay. we've got at least one more Megamorph before that hits. Right on. And yeah, the next Megamorph's in the 20s, right? I think so, yeah. I think we've got another Megamorph and the, possibly the hork Chronicles before we get anywhere near Visser. Okay. I'm, I'm curious about the hork Chronicle because those can't be. Those can't be written from the POV of hork Oh, no, they take place uh, pre-Yurk conquering of the hork planet. Okay, because in this book, Axe is like, yeah, they only have like 500 words, uh, and maybe that's all they need, but that would not be a very good book. The framing device is that it's Jara Hami telling a story to Tobias, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. And, that's nice. And that's, that's why it gets placed in the chronology where it does. Because there's a specific point at which this could have taken place in telling the story to Tobias. Okay, I, I like that Tobias is sort of like the, the lore keeper of the group. Like Was it he's... gonna be anybody else, really, though? No, absolutely not. None of the rest of them care. But that's what I like. <laughs> I like that Tobias has a niche and he's super interested in all these aliens and he wants to know just as much as he can about their background stories. And I really I appreciate that part of of the Animorph ecosystem that he fulfills. Tobias is pouring over the setting timeline and, and reading all of the monster <laughs> ecology sections and just really getting deep into this. Yeah, he knows all the rules for grapple, and he knows all of the different gods in D&D. That's the sort of player he would be. Look, he doesn't know the rules for grapple. He barely knows the rules at all, but he can definitely tell you about population percentages and exports from some forgotten realm's nation. <laughs> like, that's what he's focused on, I think. I'm still really pickled by the idea of the Animorphs being a D&D group, and now that Tobias can morph human and roll dice, I feel like it's even more likely to be a good thing. Oh my goodness. That could be cathartic for them. They could get to slay horrible monsters without uh, getting dismembered and almost dying. <laughs> IRL. And they've got plenty of experience committing genocide on a race that's categorized <laughs> as chaotic evil. Do we have anything else to talk about? Uh, just that I really appreciated the moment when Axe is talking about Stephen Hawking. <laughs> 
and can't help but well actually him he's like yeah he gets a surprising amount of things right and some things very very wrong (laughs) yeah i like that the rest of the animorphs are 12 and 13 year olds so they don't really like give a fuck about theoretical physics even though x has unbelievable things to tell them i feel like the rest of them are maybe just sort of rolling their eyes when he said that. They're all like, okay, X, just cool it. Like, we don't give a fuck. We get it. And lights are superior, whatever. Yeah, I feel like they've all gotten used to X's uh, and light superiority bit by now. They put up with it good-naturedly. Yeah, they have to, you know, he's their little buddy. He's Tobias's shorm. And that, there, by extension, is all of their shorms. But not really. I think that will do it for this week. Uh, Join us next week for book 14, The Unknown. Thanks as always for listening along with us and reading along with us and just participating in in this experience. Thanks specifically to Dustin O'Dell for the use of his music for our intro and outro. You can find more of his stuff at dustinodell.bandcamp.com. That's Odell with two L's. If you've got questions or comments or you want to interject something or send us some fan art to feature, uh, hit us up at fandalites at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at fandalites. Or on Tumblr at fandalites.tumblr.com. I was waiting for you to say it. (laughs) I was zoning out. I was just thinking about Rachel and Tobias and what a beautiful life. Because it's finally time. It's time for all the fanfic that I want to happen about their relationship. It can now finally take place in continuity. That fanfic is about a couple 13-year-olds. Yeah, I'm not going to read it. Absolutely not, no. But I'm, I'm pleased to know that it exists. Okay. Well, remember, nostalgia is a drug.